0: Hi, hello, it's Vin. Thank you so much for listening to The Vin and Ali Show. We've created something that we're really excited about and we wanna share it with you. It's called Recalibrate. It's a 12-step process that helps you create more clarity and more alignment in your life. It's the exact approach that both Ali and I have been using to live happier lives and to achieve all of our wildest dreams in the last seven years. It's been crazy. Being one of our loyal listeners, we wanted to share a special something with you. Visit recalibrate.online forward slash Vin and Ali to access the course for 70% off. I hope you will check it out. Anyway, let's dive into this episode. And we're live. Welcome everyone to episode 10 of the Vin and Ali podcast. Can you believe this episode 10, Ali? 10. First one for
1: 2021. Look at First us. One,
0: happy New Year, Ali, and Happy New Year to our listeners. Thanks for sticking with us on this journey. I know, I know.
1: And mate, this is a great choice by you, Atomic Habits. I can't wait for us to dig into it. So look, do your introduction,
0: my friend. Yeah, look, I, I think this is such a great book to read or to reread as you start the new year. Because to me, this book, if I had to give it an analogy, it's it's vegetables, right? To the food analogy. You know you should have more habits and more good habits. We all know this, I think, innately. It's just that why aren't we eating more of it? Why aren't we doing more of it? So to me, that's the analogy I would use. And what I frame this book to be is when we think about the goals we want to achieve, especially as we you know, approach this new year, we tend to think of the goals as being this is the goal I want to achieve. I want to lose 10 kilos. I want to be able to build a business that makes X amount of money. We think about the outcomes and we don't think about the systems and the processes and the habits that actually help us achieve the result. Just by thinking you want to lose 10 kilos isn't going to help you lose 10 kilos. It's, well, what habits do you need to adopt to be able to lose the 10 kilos? So when I first read this book a couple of – about a year ago only – What it helped me was, it helped me understand that setting goals isn't enough. You actually have to think about, well, what are the habits that are going to get you there? And to me, I actually never made the connection, funny enough, about a year ago, I never made the connection of, oh, habits are the systems that get you to the result. I just didn't think of it like that. I just thought, oh, habits are a nice to have. Not a must have, but a nice to have. So habits ensure you to achieve the outcomes you want to achieve. And this book breaks down exactly how to do it, 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 how to get the right habits going, how to get rid of bad habits, how to make habits sticky, how to make them permanent. So that's what this book to me, if I had to summarize it, is about. It teaches you how to achieve your goals. Love it. Vegetables. Yeah, vegetables. Perfect,
1: perfect food analogy to start up the year. Uh, I, I agree. I, I think you hit on the one of the biggest points that I took away from it was the systemization of... Your habits. And what I really liked about this book is it made habit implementation really simple and it tries to make it as easy and as clear as possible. Whereas mm-hmm. when you speak to a lot of people about habits and how do you design your habits and when people start, they do the new year's resolutions, I think the big reason why habits fail and resolutions fail is because it starts getting overwhelming. It becomes a chore. So this thing that you're meant to be doing that's going to improve yourself and improve some of the outcomes actually ends up putting pressure on people. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why a lot of people bail on the habits. And I know I've done it previously where you string five, six, seven days with a habit. Then on day eight, something else comes up. That habit feels like a chore. You're like, oh, why did I even pick that habit? Life was better before I introduced that into my life. Exercising is pointless. (laughs) You start building this narrative around all these awesome reasons why we should bail on the habit that we were so excited about one week ago. And this book has some really cool practical applications on how to implement those habits.
0: Well, the example I think we should go to that this book mentions, and I remember reading this in another book as well, but it was the whole... Story behind that coach for the UK cyclist team. So this book was mentioning how for, for for a number of years the UK cyclist team, cycling team, weren't able to win a gold medal or weren't able to win the was a Tour, de France yes, the France Tour, the Tour de France, yeah, yeah, the, the, the 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 great France, right? knowledge. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So they weren't able to win this for the life of them until they got this coach that then came in and instead of giving them habits that were very difficult, like you said when a habit is difficult we tend to fall off the bandwagon, this coach just said, "Look, we're going to look at every single facet of cycling and we're going to improve it by 1%. We're going to introduce habits that improve it by 1%." For example, when you go on the cycle cycling tours, you we're going to get you to bring your own pillow instead of using a pillow that the hotel provides, a 1% improvement in rest. We're going to fix the seat by 1%, make it just a little bit more comfortable, you know, we, everything. So, so they, they started implementing all these 1% things that allowed the cyclists to be able to then ultimately win the Tour de France, right? Mm. And they were able to win it not because of massive changes to the habits but rather just little 1% changes. And and I think that was one of the first things that when I read about it, it it gave me a sense of relief because when I started writing down my goals this year I initially forgot about this book and I started writing down very big things that I had to do things that were extremely difficult uh, you know almost nauseating to even think about but then What's as I read this there? book what one that you put down. Exercising, exercising, right? So I, this is what I wrote. So to me, I wanted to lose six kilos and I wrote the way you're going to do that is you're going to exercise five times a week. And then each (laughs) time you exercise, it's going to be for an hour. And I just went, Whoa, just looking at that makes me feel tired. Looking at that gives me a cramp. So then I thought, okay, I'm going to make it less. So I dropped it down to 30 minutes for three times a week. Right, and then you build up, right, so to me, I, I lessened it, I made it more attractive, and that's a huge part of making a habit mm-hmm. stick is you've got to want to do it as well you can't yeah. you know imagine, imagine using the, the cycling analogy, imagine you had to bring your own mattress on the flight, you had to bring your own bedding, you had to bring your own pillow, and you had to bring your own blanket, and you can't even fit that in a suitcase that's ridiculous, right? so to start off. And to make it sticky, it's also got to be attractive, and it's got to be easy. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it's worthwhile going through, you know, the formula that he created, yeah. right? Yeah. And sure. and the formula that James talks about is, well, the first law of behavior change is you've got to make it super obvious. The second law is you've got to make it attractive. The third law is you've got to make it easy, and then the fourth one is you've got to make it satisfying. So to give an example in the book, I I, I think the the classic example is he says. The first step is the cue, which is the make it obvious. And the cue is your phone buzzes and you've got a new message. And then the second part of it is you've got to make it attractive or the craving. You want to learn the content of the message. So now you want to know, which leads you to the next step, which is you've got to make it easy. Well, it's easy. You just kind of respond grab your phone and you read the text. And then the reward is you satisfy the craving for the curiosity for the message. So it seems a bit, it seems more confusing and it seems more kind of laboring than it needs to be. But I applied the same thing to me exercising. I now had to make it obvious that I had to exercise. So what I did was I started to write in my calendar every single day for an alarm to go off at exactly 6 p.m. So my phone buzzes. Now it's obvious. Now you've got to go and exercise to make it attractive I then, every time I exercise, I fill up this bottle and I drop a barocca in there because it makes it better for me because a barocca is just a, it's like a hydrolyte. It hydrates you and has all the wonderful nutrients for you, but it tastes nice as well. And then to make it easy for myself, I lay my shoes there, my socks, and then I just ride my bike, my exercise bike in my jocks. So I don't even have to go get changed. I just take my pants off and I jump onto the bike, put the socks on. I look ridiculous, but I make it easy for myself.
1: You're not and doing this the public
0: gym, right? No. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, I'm doing this at Anytime fitness. No, I, and, and this is the part that was really interesting for me is that I, I've always learned to make it obvious. I've learned to make it attractive. I've learned to make it easy, but I've never made it satisfying. Meaning I, I never reward myself for exercising. I never did. I never really made it rewarding. Like I, I just never rewarded myself. So what I do now is I used to exercise my ass off. And then I also don't allow myself to eat carbs. And like what a punishment that was. To exercise to me was a punishment. So now when I exercise, I'm like, you know what? If I, if I work really hard in this and I burn 350 calories in, in 30 minutes, I'm going to eat carbs. You know, so so to me, I've got I feel like I've finally got that full cycle of a habit now, which is why I've been still sticking to the exercise program, and we're on the twenty first of January, right? So, so to me, that was a really cool formula to apply: make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy, and make it satisfying. So I follow that now. I was missing the last step for a long time. Yeah, I think the last step's the key one, and a lot of rewarding, satisfying.
1: Miss that last step or, or we reward before we do the habit, go the other way a lot of the times where uh, I'll go have this coffee and then I'll work out afterwards to work it off uh, where I don't think that works all that effectively either. But th- that's awesome. And I think such a cool breakdown of how you've implemented that habit.
0: So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think it's, it's such a powerful formula that if you're missing one of the components, like if you don't make it obvious – you know, mm. if, if your phone doesn't buzz to let you know that you should be exercising, it's so easy just not to do it. Yeah. I, right. I think- or if you don't make it attractive, you know, if you, if you don't have something that's fun or something that you like, mm. you just won't do it. Yeah. I think there's two other bits that I, I don't, the book
1: doesn't explore it too much, but the narrative and the story that we tell ourselves about implementing a habit is very important because. Is this I the remember- identity part? Well, yeah, probably identity, but also maybe belief systems around habits. Because I remember researching habits probably four or five years ago because I had pretty bad habits and I needed to change some of the bad ones, implement some of the good ones. And then you'd read the books. Like I think there's a couple of really good ones The Power of Habit, Mm. this one, trying to think a few others. I think even books like The Four Hour Work Week are pretty great in terms of management and productivity. But looking at that research, it became. Pretty common that, yeah, if you want to get success and high performance in any field, it's the repetitive actions and the combination of the one off actions that then get you there. And mm. I remember trying a couple of those habits. So the big ones that always come up in most of the books is you have to wake up before 6 a.m., you have to exercise, you have to eat well, you have to meditate, you have to, there's probably seven to 10 that are pretty common journaling. Uh, making a to-do list. They're relatively consistent. And mm. I remember try, you'd go down that path. And I think I'd start every year and I'd have this checklist of like 11 habits that I had to do by 12 PM. And it was just too much. It became overwhelming. But then I started putting a bit of a narrative towards the really important ones. So similar to exercising, it's, you've got this goal, you've got it set up really well, but if you don't believe in the story of why it's important for you to exercise, there's a greater mm. chance that I think that habit will fail. And I can't remember who it was, but they had, they had an example with Oprah. And they were like, you look at Oprah and how successful she's been in so many different areas, whether, yeah. you know, what amazing impact, talk show host, billionaire, all these other bits and pieces. But this person, when they were talking about it, they were saying the one thing that Oprah always struggled with was her diet and mm. weight. And the theory was that a lot of that was when she's doing the talk show host, the impact, the education, the thought leadership side of it. She's got such a big narrative around how important it is and why it makes a difference. And the theory was that it just didn't have enough of a story. So that was the easy one to then rebound back from. And that's true or not. But I just remember thinking after that point that, all right, well, if I'm going to implement a habit or any big action that's going to require a fair bit of energy, time and effort, let's really write out a paragraph or a couple of paragraphs of a story of why this is important. And the, that's helped a lot with key habit changes. Like I used to drink and smoke cigarettes um, three, four years ago, and that was one of the big ones where you'd try and, you know, you'd say, oh, I'm going to quit this week. I wanna do it. You'd do two, three months, whatever it was. But then when, you, when I really fleshed out a narrative and a couple of triggering events, like the kids coming up and being like, oh, <clears throat> Will smoking kill you? Is this something that's going to happen? It's like, all right, well, I don't want you to die, dad. It's like, all right, well, there's a pretty good narrative thing to then write down. But when you see it on paper and you can give yourself four or five different reasons of why I shouldn't do that habit, I think it just happens. Well, did you to write it.
0: that? Did you write it down? What was the one that was smoking it, for you?
1: Yeah, for so with smoking, it was a couple of bits and pieces. It was obviously health, uh, being a dad, being there for the kids. Like, I wouldn't want that to be the reason why life was cut short or at least do my mm. best to avoid that. Uh, there was finances. I think just being in the business world, like the, I think the social acceptability of smoking cigarettes was something yeah. where you just never wanted to go into a meeting or into a social situation. The other thing was as well is for me, smoking and drinking were really linked together. So I don't think I could have left either of them
0: apart mm. without both of them going at the same time and well that's that, i mean this book talks about that concept too how some habits are linked to certain actions some habits yeah. are linked to another habit you know yep. it's easy for you to you know when you have a beer it's easy to want to smoke right often 100%. you have to get rid of yeah. both they're an
1: amazing combination together so- <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, and it makes it a lot easier like if yeah if you <laughs> For me, there was no point doing one or the other, like being a social smoker because I could have set up some system where, okay, well, I'll have one cigarette a month when I'm out at a party or I'll have two beers, whatever it is. I don't think I nearly had to go all or nothing on it. And it was more also around I wanted to prove to myself that I could do something that was the most ingrained habit because we grew up Mm. in the hills in Melbourne. We started drinking and smoking when we were 12 years old. So to oh, me, man. it was it was one of those bits and pieces. It was just so embedded as a behavior from a young age. My parents smoked in the mm-hmm. house. Like, like it's just been around there the whole time. So I'm like, all right, well, I have to prove I think to myself that okay, if I want to do this in the entrepreneurship world or whatever it is, to me, that was linked in a way. It was like, all right, well, let's go and actually do one of the hardest things uh, that I can imagine. And if I can do that for a year or two. And the other stuff should be pretty easy.
0: And it's funny you talk about that because I am i was trying to, the whole time thinking, well, I was trying to think about, is there another habit of mine that is linked to something else that for me to be able to get rid of means you have to get rid of both? Or maybe sometimes for some people, it's three things you, or maybe four things or five things you have to get rid of the whole thing. Because yeah. that's interesting. We, we often isolate, right? We often go, oh, I just want to get rid of this. Yeah. Or oh, I just want to stop. You know, I, I just I just want to stop picking my nose. But like there may be other things that's linked to it as well that I mean, I think that's really fascinating. How sometimes to get rid of one habit, you may have to get rid of three. Like for me, if, if I wanted to stop eating hot chips, which God is so beautiful. I don't know why anyone would want to stop eating hot chips, but I'd have to get rid of all the different sauces in my house because when I eat hot chips, Ali, I have about four to five different types of sauces by me. Yeah. Because I don't just have it with tomato sauce okay. or barbecue sauce. You're going to have tomato, barbecue, oh aioli, you know, sweet know. chili. Like you, you're going to have the whole, you're going to have the whole shebangle. Yep. So, but then to me, I have to get rid of all of that. And then also the chicken salt. You have to get rid of all of that because if I have any of those in my house, it tends to be paired with the other, right? Yeah. So that's interesting. That's really interesting. Sure. But I but I think you're on the edge of talking about how your habits define you as a person and how your habits are actually linked to you as your identity. Because you were saying, I wanted to become this business person, this entrepreneur, and to become this entrepreneur, I couldn't possibly have those habits. And that's almost linked to the identity, right? Because if I'm this person, I wouldn't be doing these things. Mm-hmm. So, and this book talks yeah. about that. And I think that's a topic we should talk about because, you know, such a huge part of goal setting that you've taught me is you've got to make sure your goals align with your values. And one of the biggest reasons I became uber unhappy uh, in 2019 was because my goals were not aligned with my values. I was achieving for all these, I was striving for all these different goals, but it wasn't aligned with my values. And I think one of the best ways to determine what your values are is to go, what are the actions you're repeating on a weekly basis? because whatever actions you're currently repeating that's your values whether it's the values you want to be the values that you know represent you or not that's what they currently are mm-hmm. you know a lot of people say oh family is a huge part of you know it's a big value of mine well what actions in the last week have you taken to prove that that truly is a value of yours or is it just the value you Wish you had, or you would like to have. So, I've always wondered what was the best way to identify what your current values are. And I think if you started tracking all of your actions just for a week, you would be able to very quickly identify well, what are your actual values that you're applying and you're doing and you're living? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think with culture and values, it's
1: always that case. It's we can wish that we want to be something, but yeah, the actions are the real definition of what that is. I love that you mentioned tracking. Uh, I think we I don't know if you want to dig into it now or we go through a little bit more of the book, but
0: let's, yeah, do, well, we'll,
1: let's do Let's, let's do just do tracking.
0: it. Let's, let's just slow. do tracking.
1: Look, I think fundamentally, I think tracking is nearly the most important part of any behavioral change if you want to sustain it and we've spoken about this a couple of times, I think it's around some sort of simple tracking tool. Like I use Evernote where last four or five years pretty much log most actions. It's like a mini journal. It's got my habit checklist sort of in there. Uh, that's just a system. And and the best thing about that is you get three, four, five years of data. So then you can also see, all right, well, in 2018, I remember being in a really good space. What was I doing? What were the actions that were taking place at that time? What was my mindset like? What was I working on? And you can nearly refine some of that form, call it. And I know a lot of professional athletes use similar journaling tools where they'll log every practice session, uh, we do it in the business world where performance is recorded in the corporate world. So why not implement the same thing in our personal lives? And you can keep it pretty simple. Like it can just be as simple. Like I know you showed me earlier, you sent me a photo off your calendar where yeah, you've got, yeah, you've got uh, the, the check Mark. I know a lot of people yeah. will do it on a post-it note. They'll have yeah. three to five things that are mandatory for that day. And then they just keep a big pile of the post-it notes with the date at the top. So, there's a lot of different ways, but I think just as a recommendation, doing some sort of tracking tool or implementing some sort of tracking tool. And that's actually a habit that you've then got to yeah. ingrain. And that's the biggest thing when I speak to people about changing a behavior. They're like, oh, well, how did you change that behavior? How did you go about it? I think tracking is nearly
0: that systemization tool that helps it the most. Well, what's really interesting about tracking is it almost gamifies it and makes you stick to it more. Because like, you know, I showed you that little picture of the little X's I put on the calendar. And I said to myself, look, this year at, at a minimum, I, I, I have to exercise three times a week. And usually I'm good uh-huh. with that eight months of the year, nine months of the year. And then I fall off the bandwagon for three months of the year. Uh-huh. So to me, by doing this, I can already feel how it's so influential for me. Because it, when I don't want to do it, I'm like, "Ah," oh, but I've got a streak going. And like, it's only been like a three week streak and I'm like, oh, but yeah. I can already feel it when I want to fall off. I'm like, yeah, but can you imagine how powerful that streak will be when you're at, you know, month number nine and you're like, I yeah. didn't miss any week for nine months and am I going to miss it now, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and to me that alone is so powerful And and you have to work out for you what helps for me. I can tell you now that a visual tracker helps me dramatically, meaning something I can see like a bunch of X's on a wall, that's going to work. That's going to do it for me. So mm-hmm. I, I actually got I, – I printed three of these things out and I just laminated it so that I can track it and then rub it out for next year. And I've got one for my business. I've got one for my personal life and I've got one for my health. So I've just got, awesome. I've just got one key habit for different areas of my life, yep. you know, and, and I think that you've got to keep it simple as well because the moment you overcomplicate it and, you may, and it's hard – you're not going to do it. Because remember, one of the core things about habits is you've got to make it easy for yourself. And, and you know, I used to look at other people's habits kind of tracking systems and, and get overwhelmed. But so to me, the core is keep it simple. Keep it super easy. I think so. And well, what I've found is having direct input
1: into the tracking. So here's an example. I, I love just, I don't know why I've done it, but just for ages, I just weigh myself every morning at the same you time. Tell. And I would log, I would write down what the weight was, and it just became a part of the habit, the routine. And it was more just so uh, I was getting a bit annoyed with ballooning out. I used to travel a lot for work, and I would come back 10, 15 kilos heavier. And then you have to, it's a lot harder to go the other way than it is to put it on, especially.
0: No <laughs> when way. You're no I way 10, you 15. gained 10 to 15 kilos. That's I did 10, one trip. I did 10 <laughs> one trip in did like did two 10 and a half kilos week. one trip. Yeah, it was crazy. And I'm a pretty that little is- guy too.
1: So it looked ridiculous. Uh, I was in Malaysia <laughs> at the time and there was nothing else to do other than just eat every day. So uh, but, but we went... also when you're in Malaysia,
0: food is it's <laughs> a third of the price, right? So, you know, yeah, well, when I when I go to Malaysia, I buy three main courses because yeah. I'm like, well, you can. It's only yeah. a third of the price it means I have to buy three main courses. I remember being in the hotel
1: room and that is scale in the hotel room and i wait that was like oh, one no. of the first times i weighed myself and i looked <laughs> at it and i'm like no way <laughs> this is crazy so, so i think after that it planted the idea of all right well there's a simple way here just by tracking that number yeah it's never correct you could be dehydrated there's a few other factors that, that come into play but it's a general Good rule of thumb, but then what happened was I'm like, oh, can I hack this a little bit further? So I bought a smart scale that connects to my phone. But ah. that was awesome because now it gives you more metrics like body fat percentage mm. and all these other bits and pieces. But what I realized was that I wasn't actually writing the weight down, and I wasn't looking at it. So I've got this scale, and I'm like, ah, oh, the metrics are going up, but there was something psychologically of when I would write it down in my notes or in Evernote. Mm. I would make a subconscious adjustment, I think, based on what the result was. Whereas now that was just getting tracked in the phone and I wasn't then logging it and it wasn't front and center, it could be like four or five days. So I was still doing the action every day, but then I'd get to the end of the week. It's like, oh, 1.8 kilos ahead. It's like, why'd that happen? Why didn't I make a correction or go exercise? Mm -hmm. Previously, I would have made a note saying, all right, don't need to eat two burgers today. (laughs) uh, let's go eat some sushi tomorrow or something like that. And I'll stop doing that. So I think that's really important around if you are really focusing on a habit that you want to changes, uh, make your own little notes or
0: you have some sort of input. Uh, I think tracking stops you from being able to lie to yourself. Mm. I, I think, I think as human beings, we're very good at lying to ourselves or we're very good at tricking ourselves I, I think I mentioned this before, right? But when I used to perform magic, there there were difficult pieces of sleight of hand where when I performed them, I would blink. And it was the most ridiculous thing that one of my mentors in the world of magic pointed out. He's just like, why do you always blink when you perform? You Every time you do that one piece of sleight of hand and the piece of sleight of hand in the world of magic was called the pass. And the pass is when you take a card from the middle and you control it to the top. And you do it with a move, but it's a very complex move to get right to make it look invisible. So every time I do it, I just blink. And <laughs> I'd have to do that piece of sleight of hand three times during the trick. And it was, it wasn't a natural blink. It wasn't a blink like this. It was a it was just this forced blink because
1: the glasses
0: fall off your head. <laughs> yeah. Is that aggressive? <laughs> it's, it's like that. It's just kind of like when you're straining in the toilet. It was a very forceful blink. And I did this because I was fooling myself. And this became an ingrained behavior for me for years. And I never picked up on it because I wasn't able to see my, I wasn't able to see myself. I wasn't able to see the truth. So to me, in a sense, you know, the reason I kind of share that story is because this is almost, you become the self-mentor. This is, you see yourself for what you're actually doing. Whereas I remember when when my mentor showed me that, I was like, this is ridiculous. What the hell am I doing? And I wasn't aware until I had someone else tell me. Whereas to me, tracking is you're creating that mentor. You're self-mentoring yourself to be able to see yourself for actuality. What are you actually doing? And it's quite revealing, I think. It actually can be a very demoralizing process as well if if you don't have... You know, good habits set. If you, you know, if you're if you're currently spiraling down and getting worse in life and in work and you know in all sense of life, this actually is important because it's the wake-up call. Yeah. You know, if if you're only gaining 100 grams a day, uh, you know, it doesn't even really register, it's all good. But if you see it on a daily basis, today I'm 81.1, 81.2, 81.4, 81.5. Because when you look back, you, you, we play tricks on ourselves. We go, "Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure I was 81.4 yesterday. Ah, it's all good. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, we're good. Yeah, we just we're all good. It's all good. I can still eat two burgers today. And then you look at it again tomorrow. It's 84. You know, 81.45. You go, "No, I was 81.4 yesterday. It's all good. Same thing. So I think I think we're very good at letting ourselves off the hook. We're very good at blinking or turning a blind eye to things and tracking doesn't allow that to happen yeah
1: well what you're yeah. saying
0: there it's it's
1: creating self accountability systems because you if you think with if you think about most it's a lot easier to be accountable when you 've got social pressure if you 've got a supervisor, a boss a parent a spouse pushing you right it's nearly like force because we all have that inherent desire not to want to disappoint someone or to to go down that path, and I think what you're saying, you're like this. If you get this right, it it means that you're now in control of your own system, and you become the the manager. And that's why I think when we see somebody that's really fit or whatever, we're we're all a little bit envious because we're like, well, that person's gone, and they've taken a lot of action. Yeah, and now they're showing it off. Like, there's probably another (laughs) a few reasons. What's that over there?
0: <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> well, they may have I'm a sex but I have happiness. Yeah. Damn you, right? Like yeah. you know, yeah. You start to make these excuses, and I, I've been totally conscious of, like, I've been totally guilty of that. It's like, yeah, that person's really fit, but are they happy? You know, do they enjoy yeah. a a bucket of French fries every now and then? Probably not. I know happiness. They don't know. Yeah, it's kind well, of crazy. Well,
1: this is one. I was speaking to a friend about this the other day, <laughs> and you know, when people are like. Oh, I just can't do it because I'm too busy. Like, yeah. And this is going to be controversial, but that sentence just gives me the shits when someone's like, "I'm too busy." It's like, no, you, you are. Like, you've got a lot going on, but the word is, I chose not to prioritize this. Yeah,
0: that's the not better on too use busy. Yeah. Busy
1: is such a cop out. It's like it's uncontrollable and it's like you're just floating in the air and it doesn't matter what happens. You just couldn't do it because you're too busy. It's like, no, no, there there was a series of decisions and actions and choices that were made that now means that you weren't able to prioritize it. Or or the real honest truth is it wasn't important enough for me to do or for me to focus on. And we do this to ourselves as well. Like I'll sit there and it's like, oh, I really want to meditate for 40 minutes or 20 minutes. Oh, but I'm too busy today. So I'll only do 10 minutes. Now, the true self-awareness in that is I'm not too busy. It's just I've packed my day with a lot of other stuff. And now there's going to be a trade-off and I'm going to miss out on it. So I might as well be honest with myself and be like, well, I didn't actually plan out my day well enough today. I could have woken up a little bit earlier. I didn't have to look at news.com for five minutes or 10 minutes. And I think I love how you you touched on the point around these systems and maybe there may be an insight into our own sort of truth of where we're really at. And, it, you know, when people talk about wanting to work on self-awareness,
0: this is pretty, pretty good starting yeah. point because well, I think you're is the ultimate starting point. This is, yeah. I mean, how much self-awareness do you want to build? Yeah. Right. I think the more self-awareness, the more tracking. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Sure, the and and just knowing how you're allocating your bandwidth, which is usually time and energy, Uh, they're probably the two main ones that we all want to maximize. And if you can log that, track that, you're you'll see it pretty quickly around what's actually happening. Like uh, if you're sitting there and you're saying that I want to improve my work life balance, you can easily track your day hour by hour and say, okay, do that for a week and be like, well, did I actually take any actions to improve that? Did I leave work half an hour earlier? Did I make a phone call at lunch? It, whatever it is that it, that's important to you, it's it's the tracking tool because uh, like you said it earlier, it's easy to wish for an outcome, but it's probably the actions and the repetitive actions that really help that along.
0: Well, you know, you know what I've done this year that's different to every other year that I've ever Kind of done is that this year I made the decision to, for every goal that I want to achieve, within each one of these goals, you know, you and I both use uh, an online platform called Asana, which is like a project management platform for your life or for your business, however you want to use it. But we use it for both our business and our personal lives. What I've done is that in every single goal, which is a task, it has subtasks within it, right? And then what I've done now is I've created a task where I track the time spent trying to achieve that goal. Mm-hmm. So that's been super helpful because I've always been so curious as to how many hours do I need to spend within this particular goal or thing I want to achieve before I actually achieve it. And and I just wanted to to, to track this. I mean, even something simple as uh, this year, I want to learn how to become a better dad. Right. And I think this is something all dads want to learn to do. But how much time are you doing for How much time are you spending trying to become a better dad? So the other day, I sat down to brainstorm different things I can do with Xander. I logged it. I said, "You know, you know." I said to Google, "Set a timer for thirty minutes." So within those thirty minutes, I spent researching online what are the things we could do in South Australia, what are some things we could do outdoors, indoors, and I logged it. So every time I'm actively doing something that moves me towards one of my goals, I just log the time. So I just say I did 30 minutes that day for that. And that's helped me feel better about myself because it means that I'm not just saying I want to be a better dad. I'm acting out those values. So to me, habits strengthens your values, therefore strengthens your identity. And that's what the book talks about as well is that don't, don't just think about the outcome of what you want to achieve. Think about who you want to become. And what's really cool is instead of just having a list of goals now for me, I have a list of habits that strengthen my me as a person and it strengthens my identity. And every time I feel like my identity is being strengthened, I feel like I'm more motivated to stick to the habits. Whereas before, when I just think about, oh, I just want to achieve this goal, It doesn't give me a clear, it it doesn't motivate me. That's the thing I think that was missing is that motivation, a lack of motivation often comes from a lack of clarity on how to achieve the outcome. Mm -hmm. Habits make it clear on how you're going to achieve the outcome. Therefore, if you know what habits to form and if you start acting on those habits, you will have more clarity. Therefore, you have more motivation as well. So it just, it checks so many different boxes, but, but I think the identity one is a huge one, man. It's just, you know, don't, don't write the book, become a writer. Yeah. Don't just exercise, become more athletic. It, it's just, it's that way of thinking. I, I've never really seen it at this level before. Usually I just see it as, oh, habits are habits. Oh, goals are goals. Oh, motivation is motivation. I never knew how they, 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 they just, they just all collide. They're all mixed together. And as you're talking about that,
1: like I know we've done a few different bits and pieces like this, but recently when I was speaking to some school kids, uh, I wanted to really simplify a system of, call it achievement or achievement of an outcome and Mm. started punching through all the different bits and pieces that we've read about and learnt about. And one of the things that came up is it's called like the OAK method, which I put in there and it's um, always for outcomes A's for actions and K's for knowledge. And we we did it with one of the the students there and he was like, Oh, well, I want to become the top scorer for my soccer club. And he was like, oh, but, you know, I'm not in form. I'm maybe the third or fourth best player at the moment. So we went through the Oak method and it was just really cool in that instance where it's like, okay, well, the outcome is you want to become the top scorer at your soccer club. So then we went through the exercises and first question was why? Why do you want to be the top scorer? And he's like, oh, well, I'm 15 at the moment. I want to play in the A-League. I want to become a professional soccer player. If I become the top scorer in this league, I might get picked up for the next level and then it will start my career down there. It'll help me look after my family. So it was awesome. he painted this really cool picture. He wrote that down as a paragraph. So we had the O sorted and his one was great because it was really specific. It's like, and we mm. we dug into it a little bit more. It's like, uh, so I want to become the top scorer. We named this club in the 20, I think it would have been 2019, 2020 season. I will score mm-hmm. 36 goals. That will be my goal. So now it was super specific. There was a day mm-hmm. at his club, which is the location. The outcome was pretty good. He had a really good narrative. Then we went into the actions. And I think you, to me, it's find the top three to five actions that you can find and they might be one-off actions they might be repetitive actions so this was really cool because then the whole class started brainstorming so we shot around the room wow. and everyone's like okay well uh, what are some of the actions that he can take to become the top scorer so one kid was like why don't you get better soccer boots what are the best soccer boots out there can you see if somebody can sponsor you and get you these awesome boots so that was one of the actions the next these one are the was the one percenters. And it was funny because yeah. the kids were all over this. And then one of the questions was, well, how often are you training at the moment? And he was like, oh, I train two times a week. And they're like, for how long? He's like, oh, about an hour. It's like, well, why don't you up that to three times a week and you do two hours? Do you think you can do that? Can you factor in that? So straight away, that was a bit of a habit change. And now his goal was to nearly double or a bit more on his training time. Uh, the next bit was one of the kids suggested, can you find a mentor? And we're going now into knowledge around getting some coaches, which is the K in the Oak system. So we put that under the K because sometimes it'll like skip around a little bit. You'll go actions and knowledge, but there's a combo there. So then he shot off some names, like two or three people, and his action was to email three of these coaches uh, that he admired that were really good strikers that he knew that could help him along. So all of a sudden there was a few other bits and pieces, but this picture's now being painted where at the start of that exercise 10 minutes earlier, he had he had a goal and an ambition of wanting to achieve that outcome ten minutes later he had specificity around what that goal was. He had three to five really good actions out of those three to five actions I think one or two would have been habits around training and practice and getting a routine in and then he had knowledge, which was getting some mentorship, some coaching, reading a couple of books on striking so it, it just provided him with this like action plan and and a really nice picture and then at the end of it. You know, the question was asked, well, it's like, how confident are you that you think you can achieve that goal this year? And he's like, oh, well, way more confident than, than what I was um, previously. So
0: it's- Isn't that fascinating how, you know, what you're saying there is that habits is a piece of a much bigger puzzle, Yeah. but the only piece of the puzzle that we tend to focus on is the outcome. Yeah. And, and even when we focus on the outcome, we don't get usually that clear on the outcome. Mm-hmm. And then we very rarely are clear on the actions that need to be taken. And there are times when we don't even have the knowledge on how to achieve that outcome. Mm-hmm. And when you give people that Oak method, when you give people, you know, most people, I think, have a decent idea on what outcomes they want to achieve. You know, most people want to be healthy. Most people want to be, you know, wealthy. Most people want to have freedom. Like, you know, we, we have a sense of the outcome that we want, but we rarely dig into the depths of the action and the knowledge component. And I think habits live within the actions, right? It lives within you know that formula of yours. Habits live within the actions. They're in the actions, yeah. And I think that's such a great kind of umbrella to look at is that for you to achieve the things you want to achieve this year, you've got to have the knowledge on how you're going to do it. Then you need to know exactly what actions and how you're going to do it. Then you need to form within the actions the habits that happen weekly, daily, that actually move you towards the outcome every day. And here's the other thing that's interesting is that A lot of the times, if you just focus on the outcome, you don't enjoy the journey. And that's another big reason why people don't achieve the outcome is because, well, the whole bloody journey wasn't enjoyable. A, probably because they were trying random actions and then as a result, never led to the outcome, or they actually don't fall in love with the actions and the whole journey is miserable. Until they achieve the outcome. And then once they achieve the outcome, it's momentary happiness. And then again, it's, 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 it's suffering again after that. You know, there, there was a really good um, quote on happiness. This is what that I want to bring up that the author kind of quoted. And the author said, happiness is a state you enter when you no longer want to change your state. Mm-hmm. However, happiness is a fleeting feeling because a new desire always comes along. And as Kade Boudris says, happiness is the space between one desire being fulfilled and a new desire forming. Likewise, suffering is the space between craving a change in state and getting it. So what's, what's really interesting is what he's saying is that, first of all, happiness is when you don't have a desire to change state. Right, so that means you can and- be happy potentially while doing the habits, if, and that's if you enjoy it. But that's if you, you somehow make it attractive. You make it easy. You make it, you know, if you fo- if you follow the author's process, and if you somehow can, well, and and this is kind of a whole bunch of thoughts coming to my mind at the same time, but it's like. The difference between people who enjoy the journey and people who don't is there are people who actually create habits that they can fall in love with. Whereas people who don't, and I think I fell victim to this, is that I didn't enjoy some of the process. And as a result, I only wanted the outcome. You know, one of the primary reasons, Ali, why I was changing my backdrop and my backdrop looks different again today. Is because I want to make this journey enjoyable. And one of my values is I love tinkering. I love hacking. I love doing little things. I love I, I love working on things, which is why we called one of my values tinkering, right? So to me, I said I wanted to make this podcast more enjoyable for myself and, and to bring more joy and happiness for me. So I started unplugging stuff, re-plugging things, recabling you know, redesigning and I enjoyed it more. It made this morning a lot more enjoyable for me. Like I didn't, I didn't want a change in state. I I loved the process of tinkering. Yep. So to me, I don't know. I, I just thought, wow, what a, what a profound explanation and definition of happiness is that you're in a happy state when you no longer want to change your state. When you're okay with just being and doing what you're doing, that's when you're happy. And the moment you want a change of state, that's when you suffer. Yeah. Happiness is such an interesting topic
1: too. Like yeah, to you, What would be – this is one that I've always struggled to define really clearly because I don't think there's one fixed definition and the concept of happiness is so relative to an individual. To you, what is happiness? Like if you're sitting there and you're –
0: Oh, I'm happy. happy. I think the reason why this stuck out to me so much is because this is how I would define happiness for me. Yeah. I'm the happiest when I don't feel the need to change what I'm currently doing. You know, mm. for for example, I one of one of my most happiest memories or one of my most happiest things to do is sit in the garden with my friends while our kids are playing together when 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 that's happening, and I hear the soundtrack of children having fun and conversations happening in the background between people you love, there is no desire for anything to change there. I don't want to change anything. I want to just sit and be. And that's one of the areas of my life when I'm the happiest is when the, and, and again, it's true because I don't want anything to change uh, Another example for me, and I'd love to hear some of your examples too, Ali. Another example for me is when I'm being creative. Like this year, I've scheduled time to not be productive in that hour, but just to be creative in that hour. And that came as a result of us reading Brene Brown's book about when are you scheduling time for play and when are you scheduling time for creativity? So now I've scheduled three hours a week for creativity and I just sit just to be creative. Just create. Just let things come to And I'm so happy in those moments because I'm like, I can see the timer is running down, but I I don't want to stop being creative. I just, I, I don't want to change state. So that to me is is how I define it. Can you share how you define it in some examples of when you're happiest you're your happiest yeah, and
1: I think it's for me it's very much around alignment and alignment with the value. so we spoke about that. We keep going back, I think to the value system and what's important and and I think the val our values do change they evolve uh, over a period of time, but for me it's uh it's if i'm doing things that are linked to Freedom, which I've got a definition for, which is around time and energy and creativity and action is one of my big topics and probably connection and impact. Uh, doing things, spending time with people where um uh, it's there's a good like energy level, it's inspiring, you know, whether that's with family, it's with friends, it's with colleagues. then the last one's memorable moments and
0: experiences. So for me,
1: that's how I've got happiness essentially defined. um, and Do all
0: of those things have to be checked? Do all of them have to be
1: checked in order for you to
0: feel Uh, happiness?
1: I think it's uh no, not at all. Uh, Sometimes it can be one and it can be a very small Mm -hmm. area that sits within any of those three areas. Uh, But I've found that the real awesome, memorable bits that I'll be writing about, they're usually ticking two or three bits and pieces. So an example would have been Mm -hmm. uh, we went, we had a golf trip, down to tasmania the other week that just ticks so many boxes it's like there's travel there's golf there's freedom to just sort of uh interact with people really good crew of people like I was there with three four really good friends good conversations like the whole thing was just ticking so many off those boxes across all three of those areas you know we even got some really good work done like there's there's all these bits and pieces so if I'm looking at that as an overview I'm like wow that's a that's a ride right up there. That's like a nine or a ten uh, mm-hmm. in terms of hitting that happiness box. Uh, you know, th- things like doing this podcast is like that, where we get to tick like impact, connection, hanging out, learning. So, it, it, because then each of those three categories have like five or six little subcategories underneath there, and yeah, that's what I'm trying to do: designing a life where most of the things that happen in life are linked to those areas
0: is, to me, happy, I'd say. And and I think the definition you gave was very specific, right? I I think it's so important for people to work out what their specific definition of happiness is or what buckets make them happy. And what I was talking about before was a very high level of what happiness is, right? I think yours is a very on-the-ground, pragmatic, tactical, because now that you know what Actions make you happy when you do them, you're aware that you're happy, therefore, you're more likely to feel happy as well. Whereas, mm-hmm. a lot of the times, if you don't have awareness on what makes you happy, you could be happy and not know it. Like, I wonder if that is actually possible because yeah. when you are not aware of what makes you feel, mm. or however you define as happiness, you could be happy for a big chunk of time and yep. not even be aware of it, and then ultimately feel like, oh, I'm never happy. But you were, you were just happy. You know, just last weekend when you are with your friends, right? So to me, the awareness of what makes us feel happy is so important. And and, and the self-definition of it, I think, is really important as well. Because if you don't define it, how will you know if you ever attain it?
1: Yeah. And I think that's maybe where I think it goes into the realm of being an emotional feeling and being sensitive to it. Because you could also then be doing like, right now I use the example of the golf trip. Yeah. You could be doing that same activity, but being completely miserable throughout the entire thing if a few conditions aren't met. And to me, those conditions, and if we go to the next level off it, it's our inner state or energy levels or vibes or feelings, whatever you want to call it. Like we, yeah. we spoke about this earlier. Like If I'm looking at it nowadays, for me, the the perfect day isn't necessarily just the actions and the outcomes and what happened it's usually driven by an internal feeling of, all right, well, I've got two little checkpoints that I'm looking at. And to me, it sounds a little bit abstract, but is time going slow? Which to me means, do I feel rushed? Am I agitated? Is there too much mental chatter? So if I can sit there at any given moment and be like, all right, well, time feels like it's going pretty slow right now, that's ticking a really big box. And then the other one is, all right, well, uh, did I put my energy and my energy levels and my actions into things that hit that other box as well where it it generated good feelings? Like do I feel, was there an element of truth, creativity, genuineness? Uh, Was I fully engaged? I'm looking at those sort of two areas. And so one's action-based and then the other one is more internal feeling-based, which I think is, that, that time one's something really interesting that I've been hitting on lately because I think a lot of us when we're feeling down or we're feeling stressed, a big part of that seems to be that time just feels like it's flying by. And it could have to do with just having a really overreactive mind. You know, it's like, oh, I've got harsh That's, so
0: That's so strange that for you, when you're feeling stressed, time flies by. When I'm feeling stressed, time slows down. Yeah, wow. It's interesting. And when I'm and when I'm having a really <laughs> good time, time speeds up. Really? <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, that's that's like the opposite. opposite that's weird. Yeah, that's right. The opposite. Can you imagine yeah. when when you're str- like, yeah, that's just, just such an interesting, yeah. yeah, phenomenon that that happens for you. That that happens almost the opposite to me. Yeah. Because, yeah and, well, and, and became- I just wanted to add to that mix as well. One other thing, and it's that for me, a huge part of, let's say again, it's it's being happy, is. I have to. While I'm doing the thing I'm doing, not think of doing something else. Mm. Like that's a big Big metric for me this year is Mm. when you're doing the thing you're doing, want to be doing the thing you're doing. Instead of a huge thing that robs me of happiness is I'm always doing something by going, oh, damn it. I should be doing that as well. And then I'm not even present. And and I think, again, we have to give it a very high, high kind of, High-level thought is being more present. Want to do the thing you're doing. And, and that's, that's important for me as well, sure. combined with all the things you've mentioned as well, I think, that all critical factors. But what a weird thing. <laughs>
1: well, I think what you're saying there is, yeah, fully present. So to me, that would go under – to me, time would feel like it's going fast if I'm sitting there at the soccer pitch with the kids, but I'm thinking about an email that I have to send off. Yeah, you know, so I'd be fat like in my head, I'd be like, "All right, well, I need to just fully engage mm. into that." That would be one of those time; it falls under that banner for me. Where I agree, I think that's that's one that I hate so much when yeah. you're sitting block really out time, and it's like, "All right, I'm just going to do this," but then you've got three, four other different thought patterns going on. Why? Why do you think that happens? I think it's well, I don't know why it happens. I think it's got something to do like with the egoic part of us that and the the conscious mind like the system 1 part of our brain which is saying yeah you, know, you know it wants to be active it's like a dopamine hit it's probably the same reason why we check our phones and look at social media and it, it's that component of well I can't just en- enjoy this one thing because we need to be busy right now we need to be doing other oh. stuff as well
0: it's that innate desire and well, this is where the book comes into play a little bit, right? In that there's something that always cues a reaction. For, for example, when I'm sitting there with Xander, the reason I think about work, there's a couple of reasons. A, it could be because I have my phone with me and I get an email that's about work. And even though I didn't read it, but the fact that I saw it come through, that cue then triggers a series of thoughts. So to, to me, this, this is a very brave thing, but what I really want to be doing this year is, can I remove emails from my phone, mm-hmm. right? Because to me, that is such a cue that brings me into the work world. I've already deleted my social media apps and I can only access, you know, my social media apps on my iPad, which is at my work desk. So the idea. social media cues have been removed. And and one of the biggest things that this book talks about as well is to, to stop yourself from doing the things that are negative habits. You have to remove the cues, get rid of them, make the cues invisible, delete the apps off your phone, and to me, to stop, to stop me from becoming, you know, work orientated or or have a work or think about work while I'm with my family, I have to make some of the cues invisible, Mm. and that's what I'm going to try to implement this year. I'm going to make the cues for the positive habits visible, and then I'm going to make the cues for the negative habits. I'm going to try to make them invisible, Mm -hmm. because if nothing prompts me to think about work, I may not think about it. Yep, You know, and and I think that that's a part of the solution there too. And and another reason why I think about work often is because if I didn't schedule time to do work that morning, then I will think about it naturally because I'm like, oh, there are things I need to do. But if I've scheduled time to do those things, then I know time for that has been allocated. Now I should move on to the next thing in life, and that's to live, not just to work. I like
1: this. We're getting nice and practical and pragmatic here. This is good.
0: It's, uh, but that's, you have to, like, that's what this book did for me is that I started to build more awareness of what my negative habits were and and how can I make the cues for them invisible.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And, And the fact that, you know, willpower is overrated, right? I mean, Tim Ferriss talks about this all the time is that we tend to think we have such great willpower, but people who have great willpower, they don't use it often because they don't have to. And the reason, they don't, the reason they're good at willpower is because they don't always have to use it. Mm. So, you know, what negative cues can we make invisible? I, I love that. I love yeah. that. It's so powerful. Yeah, that's,
1: uh, that's a really good way that the book's framed it, especially how it like inverts it. So if you want to implement a good habit, yeah. You know, for, like, these things, like, make it easy. For example, is one of them. It's so, like if you want to get rid of a bad habit, just do it the other way. Make it really difficult to pursue that bad habit. Like, ha- yeah. have your iPad, have all your social media sites on your iPad, which is in a different room rather than your pocket. Like, I think that's such a cool move. The the other bit that I was just thinking about then when oh, you only two about- seconds.
0: I want you to yep. keep chatting. I'm going to listen. But for the first time ever, because of my setup, the light is overheating my camera. <laughs> so That's I'm it. just going to put a up. fan next to it. But I want you to finish your thought because I can still hear your AirPods. Keep talking.
1: Oh, awesome. Cool. Awesome. So one of the things that I was just thinking about when you were talking about that present moment component of getting yeah into the zone when you are playing with the kids was – one of the things that I've been doing recently is just asking myself a question. It's like, all right, is, is the cup empty right now? And that just triggers me saying that, all right, is my mind just full of thoughts and ideas and all the other bits and pieces or can I empty it? And the way that I then practically do that is I'll just take a slow breath into the belly and then see if I can feel my fingers tingling. So uh, that's just a little exercise if anyone has something similar where they could start feeling the mind getting a little bit too active. It's like, take a little breath, see if you get the fingers tingling. And to me, it just sort of re-centers it a little bit. And it's like, all right, well, maybe we're a little bit closer. And then it's just being aware that there's activity going on there rather than being embedded inside the mental activity. And then the other one I think that's really cool is just a practical tool is just writing, journaling to empty your thoughts. Like One of the best techniques that I've seen is the morning pages technique, where you just do freehand writing three pages for about 10, 15 minutes. And then the whole idea is by the end of the three pages, you've pretty much emptied all of that mental chatter. So that's just that, that topic on emptying the mind.
0: I think that's, I mean, I remember when you introduced to me the the breathing technique, Wim Hof breathing, right? The the guided bubble breathing. It's such a great reset and it's such a great way to become more present and to become more aware of what you're currently feeling because it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a breathing technique that takes about three to four minutes to complete a cycle. But in that three to four minutes, all you're doing is you're thinking about breathing. So in a way, it's a form of meditation, it's, mm-hmm. it's a form of breathing, meditation, oxygenating, oxygenating your body, all in packed in one that you can complete a cycle in four minutes. Yep. And it's, it's I find it's such a great thing. I use it every time before I'm about to do something. If I'm about yeah. to do something that requires a lot of mental exertion, I will do a, one to two cycles of it. And it's super yep. helpful. Yep, yeah, sure. sorry. I absolutely agree with that. <laughs> and i think just talking about this. Topic around
1: mindset because I think if we look at I know we've gone sort of into some of the the tools that we use but the bigger lesson here is is you can go and implement a habit and that's great but if you're not doing it from a clear mindset or from an aligned place I think you're adding a level of difficulty to the Mm -hmm. implementation of that habit like say for example if you've done Wim Hof breathing or whatever it is that you do that gets you in a clear headspace. My guess is your exercise session is going to be a lot more enjoyable than if you go into that exercise session with 50 things running through your head around what you're going to be doing. And that's probably the macro lesson in this one is before you enact a new habit or you do a behavior change or you take any action is can you get yourself into the best energy state or mindset possible before doing it? Because I've just found it personally that Whatever it is, the results usually shitter if I'm going in not with a with an ideal um, state, whether that's breathing or it's yeah overthinking stuff, whatever it may be. Uh, it's like when it's relaxed and free and fluid, you know, Bruce Lee be like water. It feels like yeah. the the outcomes are actually even better as well.
0: Well, that, that, that's actually really aligned with something a lot of my students ask me. They, they tend to ask me, even you know, when you're on stage and you know back in the day when you used to be able to speak to people and you're in front of an audience where there's 10,000 people, what's actually going through on in your head? Like what's going on in your head? And I didn't know the answer to that when they asked me that, but I became more aware of, oh, I wonder what's going on in my head. So then the next time I had a really big audience, I was really curious. I was like, oh, what's actually going on in my head? And the funny thing is, what was actually going on was a whole lot of nothing. (laughs) And and it was nothing because I always do the, I, I do a breathing technique before I go on stage. Right. And I find that with a lot of other people who are also good at what they do, And you've achieved a level of mastery and, you know, now I've got an added layer of knowledge that to build mastery, you also need to form great habits. Great habits lead to mastery. But when you've mastered something and you feel confident, in the mind of a confident person, it's generally fairly quiet. Mm. It's not noisy. It's not multiple voices coming at them at a time. It's generally fairly quiet. And... I just found that the more ways you can work towards achieving a quiet mind, whether it's through meditation, breathing or mastery and building self-confidence, because all of these things help you quieten your mind or journaling, it helps you quieten your mind. And when your mind is more quiet, exercise feels better because it's not, you know, while you're exercising, oh, you got to go get the groceries on. Oh, now you got to go get your child from childcare. Oh, now you got to go make sure you be creative for an hour. Oh, you got to like, everything feels better when your mind is quiet. You know, and, and I think a huge part of what we're talking about here is how to quiet the mind. Because think about this, right? When you form a habit, it's a form of quieting the mind as well. Because the, the very definition of a habit is when you make a certain series of actions automatic. And the reason we want to do that is because it takes up less cognitive capacity, right? It takes up less cognitive power, And that way you can dedicate more of your cognitive supply towards the actions you're taking Mm. and to make it more meaningful. You know, when you exercise, you know, every time you do a push-up, I mean, all push-ups are not equal. When you have more capacity to focus on the action you're actually taking and doing the push-up, you can do a complete and proper push-up, which leads to a more or or a better outcome in the end for you. Mm. So to me, what we seem to be talking about is a whole bunch of different ways to achieve a quiet mind. Well, that was cool because you added a, I think you added another
1: one into the spectrum there where it's like mastery nearly leads to that meditative state, call it, which is, which is a really cool way of looking at it too. I like that.
0: And then I think a lot of people have experienced mastery. I mean, the, the, the easiest place or the best example to use there is driving, right? It, it gets used to death. It almost becomes trite. But think about it. When you drive, it's a form of meditation almost because you just think of the destination and then your mastery takes you there. Mm-hmm. You know, do you think about every single turn? Do you, ever, do you ever think about, do you have to go, oh, I better check my blind spot? No, you just you do it automatically. It's a habit now. It's a before I turn. It's a habit. I always check the blind spot, you know, and I always indicate before I turn. So, so these things mastery helps us. I believe uh, become more present. Habits help us also become more present. All of these things help us live more. And I think a lot of the times when people think about habits, the misconception is, oh, if I just fill my life with habits, my life's going to be mundane. That's actually not the case. The more habits you have the more you'll be able to live. Yeah. I like that. I think yeah, the but, more present you become. Yeah. That's awesome.
1: Well, one of the bits that just jumped out at me then was you mentioned it earlier around streaks with your habits yeah. and yeah. what would be, cause I know you, you're looking at changing a couple at the moment. You mentioned the exercise one. Yeah. What's, what's a habit that you would have had that's just ingrained over the last two or three years and maybe pick a good one, like one that you're actually proud of that you've just done daily for a long period of time and the impact of embedding that habit.
0: For me, it would be I always block out three hours every morning, whether it's good or not, it's very subjective, but to work. I can get into a flow state to work very easily now like to me to achieve that flow state where time feels like it's just flying and I'm doing things and everything's happening and it's effective it's productive generally i can hit 3 hour blocks every day my first 3 hours is very effective and there are habits in that right that you you are part of the process to help me form those so for me it's you know it's funny cuz actually a lot of it is you but I start always with the breathing technique that you've taught me, the Wim Hof technique. So I always start with that, two cycles of it, and that is my meditation. I used to also do meditation after that, but to me, I felt that the breathing technique, two to three cycles, was sufficient for me as a form of meditation and uh, a way to really wake myself up. But then you gave me a gift. You gave me a, a diffuser, and that diffuser now has become a part of a habit because I, I have now anchored not only those actions of breathing and meditating, but I've also anchored a smell as well to me getting into that flow state. And on top of that, I also have anchored certain soundtracks. Mm. So to me, I put on a certain type of music. I put it on a diffuser for a certain smell, and I get myself into the state and into the workflow with that breathing technique. And then the next three hours for me is extremely productive, mm. and it I, I'm able to get into that flow state five days a week, almost without without fail. Yeah, wow. So to me, that 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 that's been something that's been been a game changer for me because I used to have to sit at the desk for. Eight hours, seven hours. Now I feel like I achieved the seven to eight hours worth of things in three.
1: Yeah, That's cool. Well, one of the things that stood out when you were talking about that is environment. You, oh, you've I mean, designed, yeah. like, like so much of what you just said then was you're setting the optimal conditions for yeah. you to get in. Your, so, say your outcome is getting into a flow state to do really good, creative, high impact work. Yeah. that's You really broke down that. All right. Well, not only have you got your space and you've tinkered with it and you've optimized it, it's yeah. now you've added all of the sensory components to it, which I'm guessing it's like, all oh, right, well, what's the office going to smell like today? Uh, this is the new album that I want to listen to. So it's like the nearly rewards embedded yeah. inside that
0: habit change, which I think is a really cool well, it's making it easy, making it attractive, right? It goes back to the core principles of how do you stick to habits and how do you create a habit that will be sticky. And environment is a huge one. I mean, for me, even temperature is a huge one that I, I forgot to mention is that I, I love it when it's slightly cold. To me, I work better. When when it's too warm and comfortable, I'm not as effective, right? So for me, there's a like a workstation I have in the corner of my studio over there. It's why I'm looking over there. But I've, I've tinkered with that forever. And you helped me so much with the diffuser. I was like, wow, I can't believe I've been missing this for years. I can't believe i only had this in the last six months or so. Um, but that, that's so powerful because now to me, the smell of eucalyptus, oh, yeah. it's, such, it's so rewarding. It's so satisfying. But I need that now to get into that state, right? Yeah. And it's, it's such a powerful reminder to us that make your environment work for you. And the book talks about this too. The book talks about the importance of environment. We often don't, you know, we don't section off Mm. different environments for a different purpose. We tend to, like, again, I feel for a lot of people because they have to work from home. And I've got a friend who lives in New York and his apartment is tiny. So to him, you know, he eats, works, exercises, sleeps all in the same studio apartment. And I remember watching a video earlier this year. It was an animation that said, You have to divide your space, even if you live in a box. Tape off a space where you exercise. Tape off a space where you relax. Tape off a space where you sleep. Tape off a space where you eat. And don't ever let the spaces cross-contaminate. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. And I remember sharing the video with my friend who lives in New York. and, And to him, it was so profound because he said, wow, all my spaces have been contaminated. Yeah. Where I eat is where I also work. Where I work is also where I watch Netflix. And once you start to separate the different environments, it just helps your brain kick into gear every time you move into a different space. It's why I never do anything that is really leisure-based in my studio here. My garage here, that's my studio now for work, for performing, this is a part of... And the reason why I moved my... my podcast area over to here is because I wanted to get more into a switched on state when we're doing the podcasts. And when I have to deliver a virtual keynote, I deliver it in this space here. Mm. So I wanted the same level of engagement and focus and delivery. So I, I moved over to this environment. So I think the beauty of having different spaces is that when you need to get into a different mindset, you can utilize that space. So for, for example, another example is when I really wanted to spend creative time on how I can be a better dad and be a better husband, I moved into the workspace for that because that engaged my brain at a different capacity. I, I felt more professional at you know at the approach. I was, you know, how to be a better husband. Oh, let's, let's actually do better and proper research on how you can do this. Yeah. Whereas normally, I just do that on the couch. I just go, oh, how should I be a better dad? I don't know. Just, yeah, let's, you know. Let's just think brutal. about it casually. How to be a yeah, dad.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sure. I actually yeah. have Googled stuff,
0: I've written a blog post about this just to make it easy. <laughs> no, but, but you know what's scary? I actually have Googled how to be a better dad. That's, oh, that's Yeah, Yeah, It's the worst links. The things that come up are the worst things. I'm like, oh, this is so cheesy. This yeah. is so lame. It's like as the kids are crying. It's like <laughs> <laughs> googling in the corner. How do I we'll be Give us two dad?
1: seconds. I'm just going um, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> to. Would you like a hug? <laughs> Would you like a hug? Oh, uh, can I give you an ice cream? Spaces are a huge component and environment is a huge component that helps you. Stick to your habits more. And if you don't have spaces, seriously consider creating spaces for yourself. Space to exercise, a space to sleep more effectively, a space to enjoy yourself. Like create the spaces if you can. Well, Another cool exercise is making a
1: list and doing a log of all the spaces and then attaching what happens in those spaces, right? Like for me, uh, I've got a local cafe that I love. So that's the space that I'll always go and try to do my planning at. So when lockdown happened, I'd uh, supplement it. And sometimes, depending on where you are in the world, you'll have to supplement those spaces. But I think it's more around, well, this is the action or the thing that I want to work on. Where is that going to happen? Like um, the other week, uh, I, I picked a space which I love the MCG, the Melbourne Cricket Ground, and there was the oh, Test Match cricket? Cricket there. Yeah, yeah. So, the, but I just love the stadium. I love the... Oh. The vibe and the atmosphere oh, yeah. that exists within that, that is a space. So, what I did, wait,
0: I did. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Can you go into the stadium without a no, no. game being on? <laughs> there was a game on. So, oh, they were playing. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, they were playing
1: Test Cricket. So, for those that don't know, Test Cricket is a five day cricket match. It's nearly like watching grass grow for a lot of the time. There's very little action. So, what I did was I just grabbed a, a ticket, went by myself. Took my journal, took the AirPods and just sat there for like six, seven hours and did a lot of planning, reviewing stuff, but in a cool environment. So it inspired me because I think doing that at home with noise and everything else would have been really difficult to do that. Whereas I got to do it while, again, combining with a few other bits and pieces, because one of the goals that I set was, given that we've been in lockdown and we're fortunate now in Melbourne that sporting events are back on, that's something that I really enjoy. So it's like, all right, well, let's see what's on at the moment, booking a few tickets go out there. So you're combining a few different peak experiences with the action, with the habit and, and just being mindful, I think, of what those environments are. Because I think for a lot of us, a lot of our goals are linked to environments. When you speak to people, it's like, oh, well, I want to buy the dream house. I want to travel to this destination. I want to go to these restaurants. I want to take my kids to this place. So I think we, may, we sometimes maybe underestimate the importance of environment and how mm-hmm. much we want to engage with those. And I think the pandemic was one that really highlighted that where it was a good challenge in being very zen and content for a lot of us in a confined environment, but
0: uh, it's well, something it's that... Why, be- it's why Bunnings or Home Depot, these yeah. companies kind of, their, their valuation or the company just raised in value, right? Just, it just increased in value significantly and they started making so much money is mm-hmm. because people started to realize that when you're stuck at home, environment matters, yeah. everyone started to improve their environment. Yeah. Everyone started to improve their homes. And, and I think, you know, to look at it at a deeper level, understand that when you set up your environment, if you do it intentionally, it can actually help you. It can be a cue that helps you kick a certain habit into gear. It can be that, oh, when I need to turn, turn on the signal, check mm-hmm. your blind spot. You can almost make things automatic when you start to work on the design of your environment and that's what i think is 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 a really cool thing like i love tinkering and hacking things like that because yeah. it's like stacking everything in your favor it's like you know it's like you're stacking the deck you're making sure everything is in your favor before you play the game yeah and that that's what makes habit creation fun for me i i, I want to i don't want to just like cuz because to me sometimes habits can be boring right but i think your ability to make a habit fun really is the critical skill set here and another example is to me tracking sure i know that's an important habit but i had to gamify that in order for it to be fun for me and i'll show an example uh, you you, ha- you hated tracking it was <laughs> I tracking. yeah i think i don't we'll think about it all. all well we'll speak about tracking because i think
1: you were well, so good at doing the actions you're better yes, than i just don't like tracking people.
0: yeah because but- the story for me behind it was this is a waste of time like I could be doing something else instead of writing that I've done the thing that I've already done. This is stupid. But to yeah. me, the, the only way I had like the way for me, and this is going to be different for everyone, but I had to make it fun by creating a little group with my, my friends, right. That are, that are here with me. So I've got a group and Ali's not a part of this group. I don't want to be a part of that group. <laughs> oh, I love this. you tracking oh, all your I've crap got, got every, got a, every day a, group. I've got, I've got a group <laughs> where every day, like myself and a couple of my other mates, that <laughs> hardly is not a part of real friends. <laughs> my, my real friends. But we, we track things in there. Because yep. for me, knowing that I do this with my other friends who are trying to, you know, take their lives to a level, and this is a way I want to be able to help my friends. I want to help elevate my friends and keep them accountable. All of a sudden now, I track I track because to me, it's more than just me keeping track of things. I track because this is me letting my friends know, Hey, have you done this yet? Cause I've already done it. Yep. And it's, it's been immensely invaluable for them because it's accountability. And this book talks about the importance of accountability and habits, right? And, and again, this is why I'm, I'm telling you, this is such a messy episode for me in my mind, because it's like a whole bunch of things going, everything's just kind of coming together. But when I, introduce accountability to tracking, I do it. I do it. And when I put the X's on there, the reason I put the X's on there and the reason I stick that up in the gym in in, in my house is because I know my brother's going to see that. I know Pei Wen's going to see that. And it's also going to inspire them to do it. So to me, I only started tracking when I was able to make it public in a sense. Because in making it public, I knew it was going to inspire others. And it has. The moment Peiwen sees that, she's like, oh, damn it. You know, you haven't missed I, I'm gonna get on the bike tonight, damn it. And I'm like, yes, that's a strong enough reason now for me to start tracking. Whereas before I was like, Oh, but I know I've done it. So why do I need a door for? Eh. Yeah. So I don't know. You've got to find your own reasons for for motivating yourself to do the things you know you need to do sometimes. <laughs> I think the the public
1: proclamations of a habit change are pretty good to hold you it's accountable. Use social me- yeah, it's maybe a good yeah. use of social cool. media, even right? And, and just, just one of the thoughts that came out there when you were talking about that was benchmarking. Like I remember one of the big ones, especially when I was looking at um, stopping drinking, and I just didn't have any really good examples of anyone that had stopped that was happier once they'd stopped drinking. Yeah, and that was until I spoke to you. And you were the first person. Because if you think about it, it's really Australia. Yeah. Well, you, well well if you if you think about just Australia as a culture, like drinking culture is yeah. pretty big yeah. in our culture. Like, especially in our age group. Like if you're under the age yeah. of 40 and you're a guy and you say that like in your twenties or thirties, oh, I don't drink, and you're part of like a footy club or a cricket club or whatever it is. You know, it's something that's actually it, you, potentially social outcast on the other side it's like oh why why don't you drink you know and and it was hard to find really solid role models around that like especially when i look at um my group of friends like 90% of the ways that we engaged was Alcohol involved in some way, shape, or form. It's like we're going to weddings, we're going to sporting events, we're playing around in golf. You have a beer after the round. Like it was just tied with so many bits. So when I was sitting there doing the analysis and getting all cerebral, I'm like, oh, well, I could make this change here, but it's going to come at a pretty significant cost. Like, will I be able to enjoy travel as much, enjoy sporting events, these big moments? And then I was thinking, I'm like, well, I don't really have, like, who's done this before? where I could say that this is successful. Like I know internally it's a good move for me personally to make, but I was getting pretty real with myself. I'm like, well, how sustainable is it actually going to be? Because when 99% of people around me, like you go to business events, you have to grab a champagne, like, like it's a thing. So I had to find some examples. And like the only ones, it was funny. I was reading, I think at the same time I read Richard Branson's book and, in that book, it's said that he actually does a drink, but what he does when he goes to parties is he gets a champagne glass and he just fills it with soda water and orange juice so it looks like champagne. So he still gets yeah. the social interaction
0: there, but he gets to skip the hangover and any other bad things. I used to do <laughs> a very similar thing at the start yep. where I just got the person to, you know, instead of pouring me, like I, I would tell the bar person that I would go yep. up and ask for a scotch and coke, but just give me yep. a coke. Just give me a Coke, yeah, in the same glass. But also, yeah, give me the same short glass. Don't give me the tall glass yeah. because then people will know it's not alcohol. But I had to do that as well at the start. Like I couldn't just tell people that I stopped because, again, that social outcasting you're talking about was very real.
1: For sure. And and then yeah. like people are like, oh, like are you quitting because you're an alcoholic? Like, And then it's all <laughs> these things. It's like, it's
0: like no, 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 I'm just trying to make a
1: positive change in my life. Like, yeah, I'm trying to be a better just- person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but these are all the things that come with it. But then yeah, it wasn't until I think we sat down maybe, would have been in New yeah. York a few years ago, and I think we went out to dinner and I'm like, oh, are you going to have a beer? And you're like, oh, I don't drink. And I'm like, oh, wait, this is like the first person I've spoken yeah. to with an Australian accent that
0: um is in our age group that my country it's why i left australia is because my country (laughs) supported me what you don't drink beer mate get the hell out of here (laughs) you're pretending to be a bogan from adelaide and you don't even (laughs) drink beers it's
1: like but but that was like the first example because i think and then i started asking i'm like oh well what's life like (laughs) Without uh, (laughs) drinking, then we started because it was that bloody but (laughs) yeah. But it sounds stupid. But you nearly, and then I'm like, oh well, he seems pretty happy. It seems like he's got a high energy level. Like one of my other big fears was, will I be able to go out to a social event and be able to engage at a decent level? Because it was so tied to all right. You have a couple of beers and then you loosen up a little bit. Now. Now you're talking and you're in the zone. And again, that was the other example that you set because you helped tick off that fear. It's like, oh, well, Vin looks like he could be d- drunk, but he's not drinking and yeah. he can communicate at that level, like you're engaged, you've got a good energy level. So it was those things. So, you know, so a big thank you to you around that oh, no benchmarking worries. somebody's habits, but then also having an example to follow or somebody to share with. And and that's one of the things now as well that nearly I think it subconsciously holds me accountable is probably when we catch up next. I don't think I'll want to have to go get a
0: six-pack for us to have fun while you're not drinking. You know, so it's one of those. And, I mean, just on that point, and, I mean, drinking, look, I think I I, I don't have any negative thoughts towards it. If you Ah. want to drink, sure. Go ahead. Go, Go your hardest. It's just, for me, I just realized every time I got drunk, I talked about the same thing. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> every time I got drunk, every time I got drunk around the guys and 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 you know my friends, are, you know every conversation I would have with them is like, "Hey man, I just want, to, I love you, okay? I love you. You're, you're like my best." And I, and then I just realized every time I got drunk, I did the exact same thing. I told the exact same stories, and the next day I'd hate myself for it. <laughs> yeah, and then it just got to a point where I just I just felt like. Why do I do this? Why? And it was because it had become a negative habit. Mm. Because the moment I came together with my friends, guess what? Guess where we would meet? Guess where the environment would be? At a club, at a bar. Mm. So I stopped doing that. I I started inviting my friends to my house. I changed up the environment. And guess what? My environment in my house has no alcohol. Mm. And and the first time my friends came, they're like, "Dude, what the hell? Where's the beer?" I was like, "Oh, sorry, man, I didn't have any." And all of a sudden, we instead of and then driving out to get the beer, oh, became a chore now. And they're like, "Oh, who cares? Let's just go without. Do a night without." And then all of a sudden, we got to experience a night without alcohol. And guess what happened as a result, man? We had deeper conversations. We we were able to have more nourishing conversations and talk about the family and and really deep dive into some of the problems we were going through. We talked about the top five percent we're experiencing and the bottom five percent we're experiencing, as opposed to once you get drunk, you just talk about, I don't know, for me, I talked about the nonsense five percent. It was just it was just kind of stupid. It was just there was no meaning to it. Yeah. And what we did there was we made this, we changed our environment and we made this new habit more appealing. It's like mm. when we, when we meet each other, right? Our conversations have so much depth. Like we're having now, we, we go 12 hours a day, just talking with all these brilliant topics and these profound things. And these big realizations come as about of our conversations. We've just made that more attractive than drinking. Mm. Otherwise, if we didn't have that, we would just revert to drinking, right? Like we'll, we'll just do that instead. So so to me it's yeah and also for me it was a big lifestyle decision because I'm on the road a lot and I go on stages a lot. So I I get to move into this euphoric state, you know, very often when I speak, even virtually, when I speak virtually, like after I finish a virtual gig, man, I'm like hi. It's it's like I I it's this crazy euphoric state. And the danger of someone who gets to that euphoric state often. Is you need a method to come down. And the easiest way to come down is alcohol. Mm. And I just know that I'm prone, very prone to abusing that substance if I'm not careful. So I, I, I'm stopping that problem before I even get to it, right? This is just a precautionary uh, kind of habit that I'm taking up. Not yeah. can't even touch it. Yeah. No, I think it's, uh, it's such a cool topic to speak about because I think it's one it's, habit. it's related to habits, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. With, and with people who say, when I have a steak, I've got to have a red wine. Well, yeah. you don't have yeah. to. And I, was, yeah.
1: and I was one of those people, like I look at my wife, Chantal, like she can just have one or two wines with dinner. And, you know, I've got friends like that as well, where they'll just have a couple of beers and then finish. But just my personality type, like I didn't drink often oh, well. Yeah. I don't know, that's a relatively speaking term. Like it wasn't like I was drinking every single day. But if if we had our big night out at a wedding, I'm i I'm like the first there and the last leaving. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't it wasn't just a couple I of years, yeah, and then and then we'll drive home. It's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna earn this and like master <laughs> that game. I wanna be <laughs> Olympics for me and I'm a gold medalist in this. <laughs> <laughs> well then I started realizing though as oh, well, like oh, for me the social aspect of drinking was actually secondary. The actual primary aspect for me wanting to drink was just to release the inhibitions. It would be the way to reset. And it's like with all habits, like one of the things that we probably haven't spoken about is if you're changing a potentially bad habit or one of the other ones, I'm yet to figure out a way to do it without replacing it with something else. Because generally those habits satisfy a pretty significant need. So if I actually broke it down,
0: Weird. Well, I mean, one of the things the author said about trying to get rid of habits is you, you need to make the cue for it invisible if you can, yeah. or just make it or just make it super hard for you to be, you know, the, the the classic, like yesterday, I did this successfully and I was quite proud of myself. I, you know, I had a pancake, Paywin made beautiful pancakes, and then there were more that were there. And I was like, do you want them? She was like, no, no, I don't want to eat them. You know, And I was like, Xander, do you want something? He's like, no. Nah. And my brother's like, yeah, I'll have one. But then there were two left. And I was like, No. <laughs> I know I'm going to eat it. So I throw it in the bin. And, you know, I, I, I have been known to take things out of the bin before. That hasn't stopped me. But throwing it into this bin in particular I had food from yesterday stopped me from getting it. So yeah. either make it invisible or make it impossible. Yep. Right? So, yeah. so again, I think that that's a thought process behind it. I, you just made me think of when you were talking about that. So yeah, yeah. I like that. And,
1: and I think, yeah, and then replacing it with something that's a positive habit. I don't think the yeah. book, I don't know if it mentions it or not, but if you're going to remove, I think, like make it easy for yourself. Like because I did then break down, say, with drinking. It's like, all right, well, what's the feeling that I was looking for? And it was nearly right. like no like the core feeling was no inhibitions. It was nearly it was linked to, I think, a value of freedom. Because you know when you're in that zone when you're nicely intoxicated and just got no issues in the world, like it, it yeah. gives you a level of free mind nearly, but it's like, all right, well, how do I then recreate that same feeling? Right. Uh, So for me, the replacement was probably, it sounds like a strange antidote, but the replacement was probably like Wim Hof and
0: meditation. (laughs) I thought yeah, because the replacement was heroin. Yeah, no, the replacement was heroin. It's like we upgrade yeah, like, yeah,
1: other Yeah, way. Just, I don't
0: drink, but I, I do
1: hard drugs. Yeah, yeah. really, really hard drugs. Just, uh, but it could go the other way though. I think I think that's yeah. also something to be yeah. conscious of when you are changing a habit is yeah. what's going to take the space because that need
0: mm, at some point will probably need to be fulfilled, well, right? Well, I think the important thing to to, to mention here is what the, the author James Clear says is, is he goes, look, a bad habit is never going to go away. It's always going to be there etched in your memory. What you have to get good at, again, is to get rid of the cue that kicks the habit into gear, right? Mm-hmm. It's like what you said before. If you have a cigarette… You're always going to want a beer with it, or if you have a beer, you're going to want a cigarette. So you've got to get rid of both those cues. I'm not going to touch a cigarette again, and I'm not going to touch a beer again, and then you, you're able to get rid of it. But the habit is still kind of there. If you bring the cue, like if you go and hold a cigarette now, it's going to be it's going to be super hard to resist it now. You're going to have to use all your willpower to go, no, 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 I won't, I won't do it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's it's it's. I think replacing it definitely is important. But it's also important to try to remove those cues from your life. The the language as well, just when you're using that
1: example, I think the book uses the thing it says, there's a very big difference in success levels when somebody identifies and uses the language like, I'm in the process of quitting smoking or I'm quitting smoking versus somebody that says, I don't smoke. Yeah, Because when you're saying I'm quitting something, there's like a level of uncertainty there where Mm -hmm. it's like, I could be convinced otherwise. (laughs) <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: whereas if you just say, oh,
1: I, you just say oh, I don't smoke
0: oh no that means i have to say that i'm someone who don't i don't eat pancakes That's yeah, don't eat pan- <laughs> who doesn't eat pancakes i can't say that i just go i'm an occasional dabbler in the realm yeah. of pancake eating <laughs> yeah, well,
1: that, well it's a really good example though like are you because if you say i'm quitting pancakes no then I'm i'll not. say that you still eat pancakes but you're just trying to reduce the amount of pancakes that you eat. But if you just say that, like, I think if it's like legitimate that you're never going to have a pancake again in your life, you're like, I'm (laughs) going to have pancakes. I think think what we've hit here is that you're still probably going to eat some pancakes. Yes, I am. But you're allowed. (laughs) Many
0: pancakes.
1: (laughs) But I think that's fine too, though, because life would get pretty boring if we quit everything that's enjoyable. It's more just picking the ones that we wanted that,
0: but I, but I think, you you know, the more and more we we talk about this topic and and move around about it, I, I think, what what I feel this is is who are you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, what what a what a bloody massive existential question to ask. But but who are you? You know, when's the last time you've stopped to go, who are you? Or to Australianize it, who the bloody hell are you, mate? Yeah. And and really, who the bloody hell are you? And yeah. I think. This has inspired me to to go away from this experience, Ali, to, to write down. Well, who are you, Vin? You know, I've got some of my values, so this is super helpful. But but again, if you're listening to this, I encourage you to ask yourself, who are you? What do you stand for? What are your values? What is your identity? The identity of you. What is that? What does it look like? And I think you've got to work backwards from that because I think what's confusing when you think about habits is. When you talk to people about habits or any of the things we spoke about, people go, Well, where do I start? Mm. You know, it's the whole again Bruce Lee comes into the picture. Mm. When the student is ready, the master will appear. Or, you know, you'll know what habits when you know who you are. You'll know what habits to form when you understand your identity and who you want to become. Mm. In 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 Vikings, I'm watching a series right now called Vikings. It's bloody fantastic. And they're currently in the middle of a vote. So they're going to vote who's going to become the next Andrew's king. Well, I agree here. <laughs> yeah. They're going, to be, they're going to vote for the next king for Kattegat, right? Yeah. And the way they do voting back in the old days, in the Viking days, is there's a massive bucket of stones and then there's, this, there's a scale with two baskets on, 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 on either end. And you just come up to the basket, and you pick up a stone, each person, and you put it in one of the baskets on the scale. And whichever scale is heavier, that person then becomes the king or the queen. So there's two people that, that are currently um, in competition with each other. And to me, you have to decide who you want to become. And every time you act on a habit, that's you picking up a piece of or one of the stones and going, that's who I am. So just doing the habit once doesn't equate to you becoming that person, but it's just a vote, right? What the the author says. It's you picking up a stone going, that's who I am. But the step before that is you have to identify, well, who are you? Mm. And I think if you write those things down, your identity, who you want to become, who you aspire to be, then you can work backwards on that by working out the habits on, well, if I want to become a fit person, a person who's healthy, person who's strong? What are the habits required? And I think adding on to what Ali said as well, more than just going, I want to be fit, I want to be strong. Why? What's the story you're attaching to that? And the story I've attached to this year, Ali, to give an example is, I want to be strong so that I can protect my family. It's probably as a result of watching Vikings, (laughs) too many families just getting slaughtered and then the person not being strong enough to defend their family. But Mm -hmm. I genuinely do. That is a reason that moves me. You know, if, if someone comes into my house and tries to rob me and hurt my family, they have to get past me. And I would hate to be Ali in that situation.
1: <laughs> I'm just like, you just inspired a whole Sorry. nation to come and just, rob your house. It's going to be the just, easiest, just, easiest, just, easiest house to
0: rob. In a, in easiest house in to your rob would be down. yours. Would be yours. <laughs> like, okay, not mine. <laughs> mine, I would put up a 10-minute fight at least. Nah. Yours would just be flailing arms.
1: <laughs> I've got I've got a secret weapon. My mother-in-law. Like, good luck trying to get past her. She's, she'll just run straight out there and, you and run straight
0: she'll be all over. take you on. Yeah. Well, but 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 look, the, the the thing that I'm getting at is instead of just writing down goals and outcomes of what you want to achieve, write down who you want to become this year. Who is the person that you want to become, and work backwards, and work backwards from that. And then that, that I think, gives some sense of clarity. Because when I read this, I went, wow, this is is good. But at the same time, it feels like there's so much going on. I think the easiest place to start is who do you want to be? Mm. And then from that, work backwards and write down some of the habits that you want to do, some of the habits that you want to start forming. Because then once you've got those habits, every time you act on those habits, you're placing a stone and you're saying, "I'm I'm becoming this person. I'm becoming this person. I'm becoming this person. And it's inevitable if you keep that up because then the, the day will come where you are that person. Whereas I think it's, it's so easy to live life. You know, there, there's a quote. Let me, let me find it. Uh, it's right at the end of the book where there was a quote where it says, uh, it says, professionals stick to the schedule. Amateur let life get in the way. And I think in life, that's two approaches. You can take an amateur's approach to life or you can take a professional's approach to life. If you set who you want to become clear as daylight and you set those habits and you act out on those habits and you use the tactics that you discover in this book of how to make it attractive, how to make it easy, etc., and you stick to it and you, you stack the odds in your favor by making the environment optimal, then you're going to become the person you want to be you know the outcomes take care of itself right yeah. i mean i think it's just it, it's helped shift my thinking a lot because i got to say ali when i started this year i was still very outcome focused mm-hmm. whereas now i've become more who who are you going to become this year focused mm-hmm. and that that was a really big one for me that was you know moving away from all the tactical things and just looking at it from a very high level that's, that's kind of where my headspace is.
1: Yeah, I like that.
0: It's think, funny, the book was about habits, but I walked away thinking more about identity. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm. Well, one of the things that I think you just hit on then
1: was the concept of if you really go all in on a habit and you're very heavily engaged on that one specific habit, it's not going to be long before you're an expert at that thing Or it's embedded, and you're at the other Mm -hmm. level. Like I remember when I was doing habit changes and just speaking to people, I was like, the the common thing that kept coming up is, oh, it's too late, or there's no point me doing this because I'm just too far behind, or and that's a natural inclination because you look at the model, right? Who's the person with six pack abs? It's like, oh well, I'm in my fifties now. There's there's no point. Like I'm never going to get abs or whatever it is. And it's easy to get that story or that narrative. And one of the cool things in the book, as I think he speaks about it, is he wanted to become an author and he wanted to write the book. And one of the simple habits that he engaged in was just writing two blog posts every single week. And he went from being an imposter and a fraud to within a year or two, he was one of the foremost experts. In his space, he's now gone on and sold millions of books. He's a, he's a speaker on those bits and pieces. but it was really one action and doing that one action two times a week for a decent period of time. And I think it is nearly a foolproof system
0: mm. to
1: transforming yourself in whatever way that you want to. like if you want to become anything uh, within reason, and, and uh, the other part to that as well is choosing the arena that you play in. Is, yeah, it's a big, feeling, right? like, yeah, let's talk to that. It, it, like, like it's really easy to say, okay, well, I'm going to go practice basketball um, three times a week for the next 20 years. Mm. I don't think there's any realm where I can become a professional basketballer. or the odds of that are I don't think so lower. too. I don't
0: think so With <laughs> so finding the different
1: pieces yeah. that, that are already yeah. there, like in your life yeah. that you can expand on, that are really, really good. So not only is it analyzing yourself and who you want to become, but it's like, oh, well, where do I already have some advantage or some level of expertise that if I just optimize this slightly and I embedded this habit, you can go from being maybe in the top 30% in your field or top 20%. You can really – like you've shown it multiple times where you then go – you just pretty much go all in on it until you hit the top or in the top 1%, which – is a skill set you've got. But I think it's also linked to the fact that you're just able to lock in and embed a habit better than most people because it's a natural skill or a developed
0: skill that you've worked on. It's why the author talks about how, again, like you said, the arena you choose is so important because, you know, you can take, I think in the example they said we could take the best swimmer in the world and make them a runner. Would they be successful? No, they wouldn't, because Michael Phelps being one of the best swimmers, and you know, you take a a runner like say, I can't think of any runners right now. Can you think of a runner? Let's okay, let's just say any Usain runner. Bolt. Usain Hussein Bolt. Hussein Bolt. Yeah, if you throw Hussein Bolt in the pool and you put Michael Phelps on the track, again, they're, they're not they're they're not even going to be average swimmers or average runners. It's one of those things where the arena you play in matters, mm-hmm. and and the book talks about this too, which I think you know we. Often in society, we're scared to talk about, but it's just the truth. And you know, that there are biological benefits that some people have that you don't have, or biological advantages that some people have that you don't have. Mm-hmm. And this sometimes, sometimes in cultures, in some cultures, they are more, they are better at a certain thing than other cultures, right? You just have to think as well are you playing in the right arena right now that benefits you the most? Like like for me, does it make sense for me to all of a sudden now, like the example we're using, should I go and try to become a superstar basketball player? Yeah, no, probably not. You know, do it. I should no, I shouldn't. You know, should should Ali become the next, you know, bodybuilder in the world? Probably not, right? Challenge accepted. <laughs> yeah, no, you're not gonna do that, Ali. Can you imagine? Three um, years from now, yes. you look like a freaking Arnold Schwarzenegger, and just uh, you, bro, we turn on this podcast, and all we see is your peck. All we can yeah. see is one pec,
1: <laughs> doing all of them topless, <laughs> <laughs> and you can't even fit
0: in the camera anymore. You just, nah, just nah, this nah, piece. Nah, this but, but look, I, I think, and, and this is a big point to talk about because <clears throat> I wonder how many people out there in the world are playing in the arena that best. That, that, that serves them the most. And the, another example the author used, which is great, was, you know, in hot water, a potato becomes soft and an egg becomes hard. Mm. Isn't that strange, right? Yeah, so, sure. and the author says, well, you know, you can't choose whether you're a potato or you're an egg, but you can choose a game to play where it serves you to be soft and it serves you to be hard. So, I think it's 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 an important thing, an analogy to think about is that yeah. you're a potato, <laughs> you're an egg. And yeah. the game you're playing, does it serve you? Mm. And another another one-liner that the book wrote that he said, "You should do, you should do what comes easily, mm. brilliantly." Yeah. Right, that resonated with me a lot. That actually gave me a massive sense of direction. You know, I, I'm good at presenting. I'm good at. You know, communication. I'm I'm good at doing a certain group of things. Whatever I do next, I should focus in that kind of realm. It means I'm staying relatively in the same arena. It's going to help me become more successful. As opposed to if I just changed a hot jump ship and now all of a sudden tried to become an athlete, for example.
1: Well, this is this is another we'll we'll try to make this applicable as well. But people always say, Oh, you should you should know what your strengths and your weaknesses are and be really clear on that. And then you see that play out a lot in job interviews and that process where it's like strengths, I'm commun- interpersonal skills, communication. And they're very, very punctual. like generic. Yeah. It's, it's like, I, I am a human being, like it's, reliable. Yeah, 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 reliable, I'm punctual. It's like, but mm-hmm. when I've seen the best job applications, it's like that person has such a compelling narrative around how they generate value and what their defined skill set is. Like You'll never just see a list of nine or 10 things. Like it'll be like, I am good at negotiation and I've proved that by negotiating four or five deals. I've done this little study in this field. You know, like this is an example of a negotiation. This is how I approach the negotiation. It's like you walk away there where it's like, oh yeah, negotiation just wasn't a throwaway line. Like this person is completely locked in. And they're going to then use negotiation to increase the value of whatever it is that we're doing or align with that. And, and I think it's really important to get into the habit of understanding what your strengths are. And if it's a strength that you then want to optimize, how are you then going to optimize? So we spoke about the Oak method there. This is knowledge and learning and the skill development. And I think well, we both probably do this naturally. Where if we're learning about a topic, we'll be straight onto to Amazon. We'll get three to five books on the topic. I, I yeah. love the move that you do, and maybe you could speak about this. But I love how you go and source out experts. Yeah. And you, I think you—you you told me you call it you're downloading the software that ten years, twenty years
0: of it's the matrix. It's yeah, the matrix it's method.
1: A, yeah, you just inject the, the knowledge into your veins, and off you go. But but I think going back, back to that point around strengths analysis and weaknesses is spend five, 10 minutes after this episode and just get a piece of paper and write down, all right, what, what are things that people come to me for advice for? Mm. What, what, is the, what are the things that I do that I find easy that other people find difficult? Uh, what are the things that I could do for free? and that create value for people just because it's that natural and I like it and I'm so passionate about it. And and even those three simple questions probably give you a pretty good understanding of where your skill set's at. And I've done this with a number of people and every single pe- person that I've done this with has something, even the the least confident person that I've ever done it with. They were like, oh, no, I'm not good at anything. Uh, it's like, no, you are. Like, if we dig into this, there'll be bits and pieces. By the end of it, there was like five, ten things that this person was awesome at. And they're actually things that I was terrible at. So then you look at it, I'm like, there is so much value in these bits and pieces. But a lot of the times, I don't think we're aware of where we're good. Or or sometimes we even overvalue the areas where we think we're good, but it's another area. Like. Uh, but one of my examples that I look back on from when I was a kid, and I think there's really good clues in our childhood based mm-hmm. on the things that we were doing is I was really good as a kid. Like I could sit there for hours and I could play a Lego and I would build a set and I'd follow the instructions and I could, I could focus in on something for like five to 10 hours, single-minded without like the house could be burning and I'd be locked in. And then as I got a little bit older, that started happening with like story-based video games. So I look back on, what did I really like doing? And it was digging into a game like Assassin's Creed where you could spend five days on it, collect every single flag. Like I'd be the guy that would collect every single bit, complete it to 100%. And then it's like, oh, well, now it makes sense that in the game of entrepreneurship, it's a really similar game where it's like there's an action plan. You're going to a different goal. So I kind of design it a little bit like a video game and it feels natural. And you can go down those points. So again, just getting the awareness around where your value sits, what you're good at, what drives you can I think help with uh finding the right. Like,
0: and I feel like adding to that as well when you're when you're writing down your list of strengths, sometimes you'll look at something and you might say, Oh yeah, but that's not really a strength because I'm not I'm not a 10 out of 10 at it. I'm not a 12 out of 10 at it. But something that I think I've been able to do is, you know, I may not be a 10 out of 10 as a magician. I may not be, you know, a 10 out of 10 as a a person who's able to distill knowledge. But what I've been able to do is I've been able to combine a bunch of my nine out of tens and eight out of tens. And I combine them. So that way you can also have an edge, not just because you're focusing on your strengths, but because you're combining your strengths. Therefore, it makes you stand out. It makes you unique. You know, I again may not be the best. Keynote speaker in the world may not be the best magician, but I'm the best keynote speaker who combines magic with keynote speaking.
1: Do you know I'm what I mean? Like, you, like
0: you're literally <laughs> one of the best at the thing that you're saying that you're not the best at. No, 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 no I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not. There, there's there's other speakers out there who are a lot better and a lot better as a keynote speaker. But to me, what gives me an edge is that I bring magic into it. Yeah, and. You know, that's one of the reasons why this year I wanted to work on a habit that makes me better in that realm. Mm. You know, one of the things that makes me, I know that makes me great is that I'm, I'm one of the very few people in the world who can combine a lesson with a piece of magic and deliver it in a way that's really fun, inspiring, entertaining, and educational. So now I spend three hours a week actually being creative on how I can create more lessons that are combined with magic in a way that's inspiring, fun, educational, and inspiring. You know, like, it's just, again, that, that, that same thing. I just wanted to connect with to what you said, you're saying, first of all, is be aware of what your strengths are. You know, your childhood may give insights or what people ask you for help on gives you insights, but then don't forget, you can combine them together. Because to be the best in the world at keynote speaking or to be the best in the world as a magician is bloody hard. But if you mm. combine two things that don't naturally come together, it's actually a lot easier to become the best in the world at. All of a sudden, what you're doing here is you're creating your own lane. Mm. You know, you're, not, you're not trying to beat other people at their game. You're creating your own game. Again, me creating this studio to do virtual presentations. I'm creating a studio like not many other people are doing because I'm playing my own game here. I I'm, I'm not trying to play everybody else's game. I'm trying to get better at my game. I'm trying to create my own game. So to me as as much as we're trying to learn habits to become the best, we you know, to become the best in in this industry or that industry, Don't forget, you may be able to create your own game to become the best at. And that's the game in which you can become the best at the fastest. I
1: like that. Well, well, what you're talking about there is
0: differentiation and positioning
1: too. Like there's a greater lesson, I think, potentially for Mm. those that are listening that are looking at career changes and uh, maybe extracting more value out of their own skill set is really defining your niche nearly. Uh, and then dominating that niche, it goes back, I think it's like the, the book 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing, where it's like be first, uh, find your own lane, be remarkable in that space, and then use whatever you've got in your skill sets. And I think the cool thing that you're sort of touching on here to wrap up uh, this topic is, all right, well, find that habit, link that habit to somewhere where you've already got an advantage to. And then see if you can even create value off the back of it, which is a really cool formula, I think, for achieving some pretty exceptional results, if that's the goal.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I, I've i learned so much from this book. This book has helped me a lot as I start 2021. And, you know, I can tell it's helped you too. And I hope it really does help our listeners, especially if if you feel like, you know, I want to end on this thought. I'd love to hear what thought you want to end on. But the thought I want to end on is this, and and this is something the author brings up too. There's a tipping point where you will become successful. And a lot of the times it's easy to, to, to think that all this effort that I'm putting into this thing that I'm doing is for nothing. But everything that you're doing is for something. And the tipping point it requires a huge amount of effort. And the example the author uses is one of the bamboo tree. The bamboo Mm -hmm. tree, you can water it, you can fertilize it for months on end and you'll see nothing. But the bamboo tree does all of its growing within a period of weeks, but it takes months for it to get to that point. So there's a tipping point where the bamboo tree will grow to its full height in weeks. But to get to that point requires you to water it without seeing any results for six months plus. Maybe even years, depending on where you're growing this tree. And the same goes for, I believe, when you're trying to achieve certain outcomes, regardless of what those goals might be. The key here is keep watering, keep acting on those habits. And there's a point at which the tipping point occurs. And that's what people confuse to be the success overnight. They go, oh, you were just you were an overnight success. No, no, they just kept watering until the tipping point happened. Mm-hmm. And to me is, you know, don't, don't, don't be discouraged. Great things take a great amount of time Mm -hmm. and make sure that again, as I end my kind of closing thought, don't just focus on the outcomes, but focus on the person you want to become. I am so much more aware of who I want to become and less just focused on the goals I want to achieve. Because if you focus on the person you want to become and you build the habits to help you become the person you want to become, the outcomes take care of itself love it. I think
1: that is an awesome point to finish on and just the no, you, is- I'm going to push you to to close it out. <laughs> I think the big one to me that sticks out just with any type of behavior change. Like, like there's two two components the, the reason why I really love this book it's because it's something that's pretty close to me. It's about transformation and I just have an inherent belief around transformation. Like I think that we live this life to play a lot of different characters and to me i find that one of the biggest things is we can get too fixed in that character that we were told that we need to play and i'm always a fan of changing that you know so if someone says that oh you're that person like you saying oh you'd never be a bodybuilder like there's a side there now that just wants me to go and buy as many steroids as I can and just, just for the next episode and <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, I'll blow up suit to do it. But like it goes straight to that that point around. But I love that. I think life is about yeah. exploring as much of life as we can, you know, to yeah. me fundamentally. And I think habits and these actions and getting clarity on who we are, that that's what allows us to do it. You know, and and not viewing life as a fixed Point in time, like if something's shit in your life, just get comfortable that you can use this book as a methodology to change it. And for me, it's just about ease. If it's somebody that's been struggling with habit changes, and I used to be someone that really struggled with discipline and I hated structures because it goes against a lot of the things that are naturally part of my personality type. Like I like variety, I like uncertainty, Mm -hmm. I like taking risks, I don't like doing the same thing over and over again. But I did then become a believer that having 3 to 4 5 solid habits as the foundation will actually help me do the other bits where I can then play with more freedom, explore more things, be more curious in a more functional way. So I think it would be just knowing that you can change a habit, you can change a behavior and just make it as easy as possible. Like I love the one bit that we maybe didn't touch on was this the 2 minute rule is you don't need to go and exercise for half an hour. Like, like there's a, even a better example. It was in a podcast that I was listening to where I think the guy's goal was one push-up a day. Just <laughs> do one push-up and that was the habit goal because the reality is, is once you do one, you're probably going to do a few more rather than – he started, I think, with the goal of doing 100 push-ups in every session. And <laughs> right was, now. Yeah, right? Like, like it's, a, it's the same <laughs> yeah. thing. So it's like go do one and just see yeah. what happens. Meditate for a minute. Yeah. And see if you can do five or ten or twenty. But put in the for me the lesson would nearly be put in the habits, but give yourself a level of freedom so that your habits don't become too much of a chore and something that you end up resenting or not liking. Like build that narrative so that they're easy, build the reward systems, make it really enjoyable, and link it to a bigger picture and story and a why of yeah, why it's important.
0: I I, I love that we're ending on that, and and you know. I just want to say one more line from what you said, and it's that if you don't like who you currently are, you can change it with just one habit at a time because the habits that you have, is very, they're very much linked to your identity. And if you don't like the identity that you have, you can change that just by starting with one easy habit. You know, it's 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 the the Vikings in the village just placing one stone. It's it's you taking a stone and and placing it into the basket and going, "This is who I'm going to become." You know, I, I think it it's that easy to start to change. You know, it, it starts with just one action, and and hopefully that action is a part of a habit because if it is, then you're on the path to to transformation. Thanks, Ali. Thanks, Perfect. everyone. Thanks for joining us for our episode ten. Uh, look, if you haven't subscribed yet, make sure you jump onto www. Ali show and subscribe. Uh, subscribe to our podcast and, and leave us a review if you're enjoying it. It would definitely uh, be an amazing thing for us to see some some reviews and to hear from some of you. Other than that, on our next episode, episode eleven, that's going to be our first episode where we're going to do it in person together. That's going to be exciting, Ali. Yeah, I can't wait for that one. So, until that episode, take care, everyone. Stay safe, and we'll see you all again very soon. Bye for now. Hi, hello. It's Vin. Thank you so much for listening to the Vin and Ali show. We've created something that we're really excited about, and we want to share it with you. It's called Recalibrate, it's a 12 step process that helps you create more clarity and more alignment in your life. It's the exact approach that both Ali and I have been using to live happier lives and to achieve all of our wildest dreams in the last seven years. It's been crazy. Being one of our loyal listeners, we wanted to share a special something with you. Visit recalibrate.online forward slash Vin and Ali to access the course for 70% off. I hope you will check it out.